guys. Hello. Welcome to the 13th floor. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. You know what's crazy? I'm OCD. And for our interview format, I still actually managed to mix this up. I was thinking Alex introduced himself first. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. When you Alex, said it, I was like, this is so weird. Alex that's and I both that's each crazy. Other, like, is he okay? Yeah. I was like, I can't believe I'm introducing the show. This feels bizarre. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this, technically our episode last week kind of launched our Patreon, but our Patreon's live. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. There's party poppers everywhere. We shot them off. It's madness. Yeah, there's confetti all over the place. It took me hours <laughs> to sweep up. Yep. Um, but we just recorded an interview with a very special person. James, do you want to say who we recorded an interview with? Uh, yeah, we, we actually interviewed Caleb, a uh, magic practitioner that I know. And yeah. not like an entertainment magic. Not an entertainment magic. A a sorcerer Sorts. who doesn't like being yes. called a sorcerer. <laughs> no, yeah. he's a he doesn't like it, but we're just using that for a clarification yeah. yes. purposes. So if you guys want to see our interview with Caleb, by all means... <laughs> Our Patreon is live. <laughs> so you can find it on our website, 13thfloorpodcast.com. But you guys, how have you been? <laughs> well, so, not as good as you, apparently. Yeah, you know what? I'm just in a good mood. The sun was out today. It was shining oh and beautiful. We took oh, a 3.5 mile walk. Yeah, it was so nice out today. It was, was it nice like, up there, James? Oh, my God. You know the scene in Psycho when she's driving and the rain's coming down and it's like... Dun, 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 dun. That was all day today. <laughs> oh, man. It was so clear, sunny. It was like 70. I, I got so drenched. Nice. And then my phone, uh, which I got a Samsung for the first time ever, it was like, you have moisture in your phone. Don't charge your phone. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> no, why? <laughs> James freaking out. <laughs> but you know, you have a Samsung, so. <laughs> but, oh, I'm sorry. It's cool that it told you, though. Yeah, my iPhone would never do that. Oh, my, 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 my iPhone's been like, yo, I'm too hot. I'm just going to shut down for a little while. <laughs> yeah, that's what mm-hmm. mine does. You know what? Whether you use an iPhone or an Android, I still love you. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> but, but we love the iPhone users just a little bit more. <laughs> Anyways, so James, it rained on James today. Did yeah. your hair get wet? Yes. I, Did I, your socks I, I got get drenched. wet? I, I was like a drowned rat today. Ew, gross. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we're all in shorts going <laughs> yeah, on a walk. When, I got, when we got home from our walk, I just like collapsed on the couch. And then when I had to get up to like, you know, do chores and whatnot and take care of my daughter. I felt like I had jello legs. <laughs> jello. Jello legs. legs, yeah. So, you know what? It was a good day. It was yeah, a good day. Except a good for day. James. He got his phone wet. You know so. you know why else it's a good day? Why? Because we have an icebreaker. Oh, we do have an icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. James, I'm sure you brought one in. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we do our icebreaker, don't we have to say hello to all of our lovely listeners from around the globe? Yep. That, that's up to you. Yeah, we do. Because I, I pointed out some specific places on the map today that I was like, what? Oh, you went ahead and found them, huh? Yeah, I went ahead and found hey, them. Look at this. Prepared today. Yeah, Alex yelled at me before we started recording and said, <laughs> get your laptop up right now. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so anyways, um, India. All of our listeners in India. Because we, we have listeners in India, but it seems there's been an uptick there. So you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Oh, also, I want to give a hearty hello to all of our listeners in Queensland. Oh. In Australia. Yeah. 
And then here, Alex, this is the one that I'm letting you pick because you do it every time. Touch the map. Touch it. I'm always so worried to pick this. Oh, no. That's definitely new. That's Montana. So, <laughs> hello to all of our listeners in Montana and anywhere. Oh my gosh. It doesn't matter where you're listening. We're just thankful that you're listening and we're so glad to have you here. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, James, before we get to our icebreaker, what are we talking about today on our podcast? We haven't even. Don't we usually talk about that after or no? No, we usually say, hey, you guys, guess what we're talking about today? Mad scientists. Mad scientists. Mm. Interesting scientists, as our uh, listener Walter submitted that was in the vase. Yeah. There's some dark ones out there, people. Yeah. Holy moly. I looked up Dr. Pure Evil. He's pure evil, isn't he? Uh, the name doesn't even do enough. <laughs> yeah. Alex was very disturbed after his Have research. you heard about Dr. Pure Evil, James? Uh, no. Oh, my gosh. Well, if anyone wants to be depressed... And see someone get away with some of the worst war crimes I've ever seen in my life. Uh, look up Dr. Purio. Maybe maybe we'll do a Patreon episode on him. Oh. He's pretty dark, isn't he? Oh, Now, yeah. just to be clear, it, it, this is a real person, right? Y- yes. That's his nickname. That's his okay. nickname. He this wasn't is, born. This is not like Dr. Evil. Doom or anything. No, but this is his. This was the name that people gave him. Anyway. This isn't Dr. Mingala, is it? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No. Just wanted to make sure. No, but anyways, James... Now that we know what our topic is for the day, do you have a mad scientist-themed icebreaker for us? <laughs> well, you know, thinking about science and how, you know, a lot of science, you know, seems crazy until it, you know, becomes beneficial. Is there, and this, this, is, this is a looser question because there's two ways you can interpret it. Is there a particular story about, you know, real science being implemented that just absolutely blew your mind and made you excited to live in the current year? Or conversely... Was there a moment where you just like really realized like, oh my God, I'm living in the future that like, you know, kid me imagined? Hmm. Mm. Hovercraft. <laughs> Hovercraft. <laughs> no, that's a hard one. I Like, I don't think that there are any specific instances that come to my brain, but I know that growing up, I was always very fascinated with evolutionary biology. I'm more so interested in the forms of science that are like looking back in time Hmm. and not necessarily like, oh, let's create something for the future. It's more like, oh, what did we come from that really interests me? Hmm. Right. So that's my answer. I know it's not. It's not an answer to any of your questions, James. What about you, James? Um, There was just two for me for both sides. One is like 3D organ printing. That just amazes me. That amazes me. I mean, think of that. We, I mean, we live in flipping Star Trek at this point. We can print body parts that people need to survive. So that's one that's amazing. But for me, like when I realized like, oh, my God, I'm living in the, the, the future. Uh, for It wasn't the smartphone. That, that's the one for most people. But one day I was downloading a video game and I realized like, oh, my God, if I had told eight-year-old me who had to blow on cartridges that one day he would be just channeling his game out of the air, out of the ether <laughs> – <laughs> he wouldn't, he would have, Zed would have exploded, you know? That's crazy. Yeah. Wi-Fi is crazy. It is crazy. It, and But for me, it's the phone, like you mentioned. And there's a great Brian Regan joke where he talks about making the, the world's largest uh, triangle. And it's just about trying to call someone that's like in the room with you, trying to find them. And it's like you just send a signal to space and back for no reason. <laughs> like it made the world's <laughs> most, most giant triangle. That's true. I've never thought about that. Yeah. And so I, that, w- once I heard that joke from him, 
it, that's really stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, it's so true. Like, it's kind of wild. <laughs> well, guys, I think that's our icebreaker. Yeah. Are we ready to hop on into our let's, topics? Let's dip oh. on in. Wow. Because my guy is Johan Conrad Dipple. <laughs> so, in case you couldn't tell, Alex is starting us off. Alex, so you're talking about Dipple. Yeah, Dipple. So, I decided to focus on Johan Conrad Dipple. Man, that sounds like a delicious ice cream. Right? It does Doesn't sound it? It like sounds- a delicious ice cream. Uh, I've heard the name Dipple before, but I don't know anything about him. James. Uh, yeah, he's 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 known for inventing uh, Dippler radar. It's like a little worse than Doppler. No, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be funny. Yeah, well, you'll likely get an inkling for who this is after my next sentence. Johann Conrad Dippel was born at Castle Frankenstein oh. near Mutal and Darmstadt. Did he build a Frankenstein? In 1673. <laughs> so, Dippel <laughs> was a man of many talents. He studied theology, of which he had a master's in, and then he studied philosophy and alchemy. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's a very, very curious guy. So now, if you're looking for some of his theological works, he published those under the name Christianus Democritus. Okay. So, if you ever want to go look up some of his writings, that's how you found it. I haven't heard of that. So, apparently... These are still preserved works, and they're pretty easy to find. Now, Dipple was controversial, unsurprisingly, given the topic of mad scientists that we're doing. So, he had a bunch of supporters and enemies, but the most notable supporter, my main man, Emanuel Swedenborg. Swedenborg. Yeah. Is that why you chose him? Because you no. had such a man crush it was a, I started writing up about him, and that was a pleasant surprise for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, that's right. He was one of the disciples of Dipples, actually. Mm. Uh, uh, until he wasn't. Um, eventually, Swedenborg changed his views. As he went over a lot of D- Dipples things, and he became really critical of him. Uh, so much so they dismissed him completely and called him, quote, the most vile devil who attempted wicked things. Dang. That's quite the That's a lot. about face. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just right. remind everybody who Swedenborg was? Just Emanuel Swedenborg was the Da Vinci of Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but he was like this really smart, intelligent guy who he's just like a fascinating inventor. And then eventually he started doing creating forcing himself to have these dreams that created these religious experiences for him where he went on these tours with Jesus Jesus yep. and he so he became this prominent theological figure for a lot of people Swedenborg very yes, interesting yes. guy well we had did an episode on him already so if you can go find it I don't remember what it was okay, what, yeah, the what the topic was but it's great so <laughs> <laughs> so Swedenborg Further wanted to cl- like clarify and distance himself from Dipple uh, because, you know, once you have this change of heart about somebody, you kind of like, hey, by the way, I'm not with this guy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said one of the reasons he actually fell in, in line with Dipple is because they actually had a few things in common. He loved how emotionally charged Dipple's writings were, and he agreed with him uh, very harshly, and you would – wouldn't be surprised about this after you hear the episode about Swedenborg, but he agreed with him on dissolving traditional ter- churches and pushing a more personal faith. 
Okay. So pursuing God in your own way rather than these traditional churches. So um, those, those, those were big topics, probably hot topics back then that would get you a little cast aside. I, yeah. I just want to add something that's a little unrelated, but it's just sort of something that when you said it, it jogged my memory. Just so you guys know, you know, Swedenborg, Sweden, Scandinavia, um, personal churches, Stave churches are like these really old churches that have a very different view of Christianity from modern Christianity. Well, it was just discovered like this week that stave churches are actually 300 years older than they originally thought. They thought it was like 13th century Sweden, and it's actually more like 10th century. So I just thought that was really cool. Oh, that was interesting. Hmm. The more you know. The more you know. Uh, Yeah. So he also agreed uh, with Dippel that the Bible was not the literal word of God. But because I don't ever want to talk about, uh, <laughs> because I ever I don't ever not want to talk about Swedenborg. <laughs> I want to give you another quote from him about Dippel. He said, uh, "Dippel was bound to no principles, but was in general opposed to all, whoever they may be." Uh, so he hated everybody. Oh, contrary. of what? Yeah. So whoever they may be, of whatever principle or faith, and then ellipses. He was becoming angry with anyone uh, for contradicting him. So, yeah, this is a pretty good character study of Dipple, I think. Mm. Because, you know, I trust Swedenborg 100%. Mm. <laughs> so, but I think it's an interesting analysis of his personality. Because I do, through my research, it did seem like people didn't really like the guy much. Well, that, that makes sense, too. Topics today that people don't really like are mad scientists. That's true. Oh, oh. Yeah. This is like that type of personality, though. It's like, you know, there's always that one person that you know that no matter what you say, they're always like, uh uh-uh. uh. Well, <laughs> you know, I was I was reading this because, you know, he's kind of talking about how persuasive he is and that he's got this really strong personality and he's never wrong. So he, he actually declared Dipple to be a cultish opportunist who used theological charisma. For his own financial gain and social influence. Sounds like a cult to me. Sounds like a <laughs> it, reminds me of, it reminds me of our cult episode. Mm. He said he would actively do this, like leading people away from a, their typical faith. And he said that he would, quote, take away their intelligence of truth. Mm. So, oh, truth and good. And lead them into a kind of delirium. Oof, yeah. dark. So it really yeah. does sound like he believed that Dipple was like bringing people into a cult. So it's just, you know, that immense charisma of Dipple is hard to get away except for Swedenborg. Also, that last name is just so much fun to say. Yeah. Dipple. Dipple. I know, right? So what was it that caused such a visceral reaction from Swedenborg? Well, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with some big theological differences, uh, but maybe. Just maybe Mm -hmm. it was the events that transpired around the man. (laughs) What happened? First, he created Dipple's oil, or as alchemists may call it, the elixir of life. What? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Or the uh, philosopher's stone, as they would also call it. Something tells me this was not really the philosopher's stone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Dipple's oil. What was it? Well, it was also known as bone oil. <laughs> what he would do was distill animal bones into a dark, viscous liquid. You mean like a broth? I was about to say it's uh, bone broth. More, it sounds <laughs> like bone broth. <laughs> right? 
It sounds like bone broth, right? Except for he broke it down so much that it turned into tar. Ew. Mm. And a big bonus, it stunk really, really, really bad. <laughs> although people was stinky. The, it, it sounds like it because although it was like mostly made of dissolved animal bones, Dipple's oil was used for a few practical applications. So I guess animal bones are good for something. <laughs> Aside from making you live forever, of course. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> or you know maybe just a really long time. We won't say forever, but. <laughs> it was also an excellent animal and insect repellent. Oh, wow. Yeah. And woman stinky. <laughs> exactly, because you stunk. Um, and it was actually a a uh, chemical weapon used in World War II. Oh. He, he, long after he died. Yeah, right. Uh, but it was actually, they actually used Dipple's oil in World War II to poison wells. Oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, the... Interesting thing is that even though it made it undrinkable, apparently it didn't violate the Geneva Protocol because it's not lethal. Right. Good news. And so also, you know, it totally didn't repel anything when it was a <laughs> bug spray either. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, it just made it taste bad because it stunk. And Probably. It, it wasn't, didn't really do anything else. So what else did he do? Well, rumor of attempting a soul transference uh, was a pretty big deal. And he was trying to, so he was trying to transfer a soul uh, from one cadaver to another using a funnel. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Trying to use a funnel. And it's actually something in some of his theological writings that he's talked about that you could transfer souls between bodies. So he's he's formally written about this being possible. (laughs) All right. Fascinating. and while it is a rumor, it does sound pretty likely that the guy did this. Um, but it is just a rumor. So now that also seems more, uh, it also seems even more possible when you consider that Johan really, really enjoyed dissecting animals. Ooh. Yeah. They called him, quote, an avid dissector. An avid dissector. Yeah. That is. Uh, that dissection. Passion is what led him to creating the dipple oil with all the animal bones. He's like, I got to do something with all this. <laughs> yeah, I got to do something with the scraps. Goodness. So it seems that eventually Dipple lost his Christian faith and like really sunk himself into his other work. So much so that accounts of him became less frequent and more frightening. Like local ministers accused him of grave robbing, uh, experimenting on cadavers. I was to say, you know, you're trying to funnel yep. souls from one corpse <laughs> to another. It's yep. not the most uh, canonically <laughs> Christian thing you can do, I don't believe. Uh, not really. And, uh, of course, keeping company with the devil, as you'd expect from a yeah. minister to say. So apparently Dipple may have even perpetuated these devil rumors himself. Because, Why would he do that? Well... If you make a, make a deal with the devil, you're likely to gain knowledge that no one else has. Right. And that knowledge gives you a bigger audience to sell your dipple oil. <laughs> if they know that if, if your audience knows that you got something that you shouldn't have <laughs> oh from goodness. somebody you shouldn't have been talking to, maybe you've got that secret ingredient to make them live forever. Jeez. Yeah. So the idea was that he sold his soul for that secret knowledge. Now... He made a claim that his elixir would make him live until he was 135. The okay. next year after making that claim, he died. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the most effective. 
but you know, just one more quick fun fact about Dipple, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. Uh, Dipple was banned from Russia and Sweden because of his religious views, but he was actually <laughs> banned from, uh, I want to say, Gissen, a German town, after being challenged to a duel and killing a man. <laughs> he killed somebody? Yeah, yeah, he killed somebody. Now, I don't fair. know if he challenged, I don't know if the guy challenged him or he challenged them, uh. but the duel was accepted and he won. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that. that's not right, you know. He probably cheated or something knowing him. He probably threw like an animal corpse at him. <laughs> <laughs> he took a very sharp bone oh, to die in his heart. Maybe. Or, or he had like a dead squirrel in his pocket and they shot it and it, the dead squirrel caught it. Like, oh, you yeah. know, in a movie, like a book stops a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Dipple. That's Dipple. Wow. Dang, Dipple. <laughs> Dang, Dipple. Dipple wow. oil. I, wow. Need stuff. <laughs> James was about to admit that that's what he did. <laughs> no, James is just so speechless that he's like, I don't know what to say next. James. Yeah, apparently Mary Shelley spent a lot of time in that area. Right. And that's why they think that Dipple she got the idea. Had some. Because she, she a lot of his stories became folklore in the area. Right. Like they really grew. The stories really grew. And she loved the folklore in the area. Now, no one can confirm if she even heard those stories, right. but she is on record saying, like, she went there. She visits there to learn about the local folklore. Interesting. Did yeah, yeah, Frank- is there any funnel use in Frankenstein? No, but apparently the funnel includes like a lot of lubrication to like move it from one soul to the other. Oh, okay. one, one cadaver to the other. All right. <laughs> hmm. Well, James, who are you talking about today? I am talking about Isaac Newton, or should I say, Sir Isaac Newton? Um, Sir, I think yeah. I've heard of him before. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. His his reputation precedes him largely because uh, he invented calculus and gravity, and <laughs> he, invented he invented gravity. gravity. Or, well, sorry. Oh man, <laughs> I did the thing that every third grader does. He uh, <laughs> he discovered gravity. Um, but he invented calculus. But anyway, Isaac Newton, really interesting guy, and a lot of weird stuff. Um, right off the bat, let's start with. The, the humble beginnings of the guy, because he was not born into some aristocratic family where where a college education was just you know definitely on the horizon. Quite the opposite, he actually was born to two illiterate farmers and in abject poverty. But when he was little, and I'm talking like a baby, his dad ended up dying, and his mom ended up marrying Barnabas Smith who is a really wealthy clergyman. But here's the problem. He didn't want Isaac around. So what ended up happening was his mom just basically went to move in with Barnabas Smith and left him behind. So his grandparents took care of him, but he had he had some trust issues after that. You know, his dad <laughs> dies and his mom abandons him for, you know, some some rich fella. But right. one thing worked out kind of well, though, which is that the rich fella, despite not wanting to be around him, was willing to pay for a few things. And so he was able to go to Grantham, uh, like a, a school in Grantham. And it was nice. Like, you know, he was actually learning things. And he had already, just from being a clever child, he'd already taught himself a lot of things. But this was really where he was actually able to educate himself properly. Well, he mm-hmm. ends up going to uh, Oxford. And... What was really flipping cool about that, you know, as a like a rags to riches story is, you know, again, the rich 
clergy guy paid for for something, but he actually got in on something that doesn't really exist nowadays, at least not to my knowledge. You know, they didn't just have like scholarships or anything like that. Uh, Instead, he had to like, you know, wait the tables at college and, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Oxford? I meant Trinity. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's in Cambridge, but he had to like clean the rooms, the dormitories, like just do, do the stuff that like they had people do like nowadays a janitor would do, but he had to, in order to pay for his tuition. Interesting. He worked his way through school. Yeah. Well, something really interesting happened while he was at school. He actually got saved from the Black Death while at school because the plague started raging in the area. And so the professors got concerned and they sent him home. Well, if they hadn't, if they'd said, no, you're going to keep doing your coursework, he totally would have. Well, let's not say for sure, but there's a 33 percent chance Calculus would have been a little late. (laughs) So one of the reasons I wanted to talk about Newton, though, and I've touched on this in some previous episodes, is that in addition to his materialist studies, um, Newton was into a lot of weird stuff. A lot of weird stuff. He was definitely an occultist. In fact, it's been said from, from other folks that he wasn't really, you know, people act like Newton sort of ushered in the age of the Enlightenment. He was he was the first uh, enlightened person, the first materialist. But a lot of people say that he is the last magician. And I think that's a much more accurate description of Newton. He was on the cusp of between, and in some ways he ushered in an era of pure reason and materialism, but a lot of his studies were not on par with that. And here's a perfect example of how his occult views have influenced now. Um, Alex, Cece, yeah. how many colors are in a rainbow? What, what was that? I don't even seven? Know. Six. Seven. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, seven. I don't know. Okay. Alex doesn't know. <laughs> well, Alex, you're kind of <laughs> correct. And Cece, you're kind of correct because the answer is seven, but it's really six. Um, the reason why we, we view the rainbow as having red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet is because Newton was being the, an occultist that he was and, and viewing seven as a magic and divine number, which seven ah. does take place a lot in nature in some very interesting ways. But uh, he was like, there's totally two shades of purple in this. <laughs> so that's why we were taught that. And some schools are actually phasing that out. They are, they're actually saying I- just violet or just indigo or sometimes just plain purple. Which, if you think about it, it, those are the only two colors that like we, we break down into shades. Do we really normally think of indigo and violet? We usually think of purple. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. why I always thought that was weird when we were in school. It's yeah. because like indigo and violet, like they're very, very there's very little that's different yeah. between them. And the reason for that, again, is Newton just couldn't let go of that idea of there being seven colors. <laughs> there had to be seven. <laughs> And Newton was weird in a lot of respects, in addition to his fixation on certain numbers. Uh, As I mentioned, you know, he invented calculus, and some people say Leibniz did, and some people say they simultaneously did, and there's a whole thing about that. But I absolutely believe that that he came up with the idea first, and I don't think that he stole it or anything like that. But, you know, you'd, you'd think that would be an impressive thing, but Newton had trust issues, as I mentioned before, like really, really Mm -hmm. bad trust issues. Um, Well, 
we are pretty sure he died a virgin. We were, we're fairly certain of that. And some people think that it was because he had autism. Some people think he had schizophrenia. I'm more inclined to think that he may have had autism, but I'm actually, I, I think it's more likely he just had trust issues. Hmm. But yeah, a very strange, strange man. But really, let's talk more about his more bizarre views. Um, the most bizarre, and I've touched on this in a previous episode, is that uh, there are people on the sun. <laughs> there are people on the sun. There are people on the sun. They're not necessarily homo sapiens, but they are humanoid and they exist on the sun. That is not a very reasonable statement to make, even in 1720-something. But uh, he did. (laughs) So that's one thing. And he actually had several unpublished works that were expressly on the topic of alchemy and theology and more esoteric studies regarding all these things. Most of his views were, were quite quite unique. Um, and his fixation on alchemy, uh, like you mentioned uh, with, with Dipple, uh, he wanted to create the Philosopher's Stone. He wanted to create... <sighs> man, it's hard to explain the Philosopher's Stone. It's not just some rock that makes you live forever. It's the idea of, of through study and through work, perfecting the creation around us with a capital C to the point that you come up with sort of perfection itself. And in doing so, you perfect yourself. So you're, what you're really doing, it's kind of like Taoism with cultivating immortality. You are perfecting yourself and you are becoming uh, just the bestest thing that there ever was uh, made out of matter. Hmm. That's sort of the, the basic idea. Uh-huh. Newton also belonged to a Gnostic brotherhood of fellow alchemists. And so a lot of his views were in tandem with that, which is kind of funny because we, we mentioned archons earlier today. In our interview episode, well, the Gnosticism goes hand in hand with that view. But in my opinion, one of the absolute strangest things that Newton did was he was he decided he was interested in biology, and he didn't know any better way of experimenting on a, an eye and and figuring out like what a person would perceive when experimented upon. Then by doing it to himself, at which point no. he, well, yeah, he had no problem doing this. He decided he was going to insert a needle into his eye, Aww. and he did. <laughs> and uh, he very calmly took notes as to what he experienced, it, it, like the the alteration of color and and you know all those things that he experienced. Yeah, he had no no uh, issue doing that. He did it for Ooh. science. Yeah, his oh. fixation on unraveling the secrets in nature in order to, well, in order to truly understand his creator is what led him into studying gravity, which is, of course, what he's most known for, studying astronomy and studying chemistry and alchemy. But what's just something that stands out to me is that he would you he would take these little weird breaks to his chemistry lab every autumn and spring for, for flipping decades and decades. Uh, and this was the, the reason, by the way, autumn and spring was just because, you know, they didn't have AC back then. It was easier to work in a lab indoors for a long time when it was cool uh, outside. But he would do this for a six week window twice a year. And during that time, he actually 
wrote over a million words on chemistry, wow. just chemistry. That's all. That's a lot. Yeah. He actually drank mercury a few times. Um, he called it sophic mercury, which was actually mercury with gold dissolved in it. Uh, this was part of his you know, alchemy. What he was doing was he was trying to marry sulfur, in this case, mercury, and impregnate it with gold because... This, I, I tell you what, I'll just read it. This is what this is his little recipe here. <laughs> this is his recipe: marry sulfur with mercury, which is impregnated with must be espoused with our gold. Then hast thou two sulfurs married, two of ones of spring, whose father is the gold and silver the mother. Now, before we just conclude that he was a lunatic from that, which he definitely, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is one of those things where it's like madness breeds uh, or genius breeds madness um yeah alchemists usually wrote things in sort of code so like not just your average joe could like figure it out it was because again part of that perfection is is the act of study itself you know it's not something you just want any random person to have because they wouldn't be right. spiritually or intellectually ready for that kind of like you know thing well yeah. that's sort of more likely what he's saying right here this recipe is probably coded for people who were similar to him. He would also draw symbolic illustrations too. For example, uh, a very complex looking uh, caduceus, you know, the the snake wrapped around the the staff with a uh, Holy Spirit dove on top of it. And he would also just copy verses from other alchemists. Now that in and of itself might not sound that weird, but again, bear in mind, he had those verses written down anyway. So why copy them? Was it just to commit it to memory or, I mean, the dude did a lot of weird stuff is where I'm going. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. And he, by the way, was not a very, uh, I mentioned he has a, a trust issues. He was not a very beneficent kind of fellow, beneficent. Um, (laughs) Here's the deal. So, there was a ban on alchemy. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So yeah. alchemists weren't allowed to do things because so many alchemists were counterfeiting money. Okay. Uh, so Newton ends up being director of the Royal Mint. So he very gratefully uh, to, you know, t- took part in that law being lifted. So now people can practice alchemy again, but when somebody did, most likely an alchemist, counterfeited money, he sentenced him <laughs> to being hanged. Okay, so that's that's pretty rough. For counterfeiting, mind you, not like killing somebody. And publicly disemboweled. And, oh my and, and he was present and very, very pleased <laughs> with the display. Jeez Louise. So a little different. Yeah. He was he he had several breakdowns throughout his life. During one of them, he was screaming that he wanted one of his friends Locke to die. He was obsessed with the idea of sin uh to the point that he actually wrote a letter to God just saying everything he did. Everything he ever did bad, including I am not kidding, making pies on a Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, making yeah, how dare he? Pies on a Sunday. Yeah, made pies on a Sunday. How <laughs> dare he? So, weird guy. Weird guy. I mean, the reason why I'm struggling with this topic is not for lack of material. It's 
it's trying to organize all the material so I can touch on enough stuff because the guy did so flipping much. He did a lot. He, I mean, he's when when you think of oh, famous scientists, he's probably going to be the first scientist to come to everybody's minds. Yeah. Now, yeah. one last thing I'm gonna gonna touch up on him. One little last thing, and that is, you know, I mentioned before the the controversy. You know, who discovered calculus first? or invented, or whatever you want to call it. So Leibniz actually published a theory before Newton, but Newton had the work. He just never published it. Now, he could have gone out and pointed this out and and just been happy that somebody was discovering things. And, you know, it probably could have, it probably could have ended well is where I'm going. But he was not okay with Leibniz publishing this. He felt like he had just stolen it from it which is also pretty much impossible. So he just like <sighs> went on a full crusade to destroy Leibniz's reputation, like destroy sure. it. So Did he do it? Not exactly. I mean, in the day, it, it wasn't great for Leibniz, but I mean, he's been vindicated at least through history. And I don't think it had a tremendous impact uh, because again, like there wasn't that much of an argument. And also it's not like Newton had a whole lot of credibility, even though, even though he was a, a remarkable, remarkable, brilliant man, it's not like he had a bunch of friends or anything who were going to stand up for him. This guy, like I said, multiple breakdowns, threatened his best friends, put needles in his eye, drank mercury. Not Disemboweled people for yeah, fit. Exactly. So not the most mm, stable fella. Man. Yeah. So, I, didn't, I, like, I didn't know that Newton had a crazy side. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it's... Not shocking, but it is sad that one of the smartest men who to have ever lived, I mean, a guy who who pulled us all into a new era, was also kind of bonkers. Oh, and I, I think I, I think I said people said that he was the last of magicians. I should have clarified. That was Keynes who said that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Keynesian economics. That guy. Oh. That guy. Oh. Uh wow. Thank you, James, for telling yeah. us about Sir Isaac Newton. No problem. I, I learned a lot also. What do you have to teach us, though? That's what do I have to teach you? Yeah. Oh, are you guys ready? I'm ready. I want to be learned. I think that my guy's going to knock your guy's socks off. Are you guys ready? <laughs> so. Yep. All right. So, you guys, today I am going to be telling you about the life of a mad scientist who went by the name of Paracelsus. <laughs> boom, boom. One of... James's favorite scientists, yep. I think, because he's quoted him multiple times on the show. Yep. Yeah. You guys, he was born in 1493, which surprised me a little bit because I learned about Paracelsus in high school. And I guess for the past 14 years, I've just kind of assumed that he was from ancient Greece um, or something. <laughs> I, I, I get that, though, the, the name. Yeah, yeah the like name. Nostradamus, you know, the, the people yeah. of the day, that's what they would do. They'd take Greek names. Well, Paracelsus just sounds like, oh, you know, like you've got Plato and Socrates. Paracelsus. It does. It just fits in there. But anyways, he was alive and kicking in 1493, and his full name was Philippus Aurelius Theophrastus Bombastus. (laughs) Bombastus? Von Hohenheim. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it was a long name, you guys. Yeah. So I totally understand why he went by a nickname. And his <laughs> nickname was actually a jab at another brilliant mind. I think a math- mathematician named Celsus. 
Yep. And he's paracelsus, yeah. which means I'm above yep. Celsius. I'm better than. You know what I mean? So yeah. when you were talking about your guy, Alex, it really it gave me a lot of like flat flashes to my guy. They're egomaniacs. They're egomaniacs. <laughs> You'll hear a bit, a bit more about it in a second. But P-Man, because I don't want to keep calling him paracelsus. He was a physician. He was a man of science. He believed in observing and reporting. And he kind of like for him, his big thing was there's a cause for everything. I.e., you fell down and got a massive bruise on your butt. It's not because you just got too much yellow bile in your body, mm-hmm. which was like the big, you know, that's how you could tell what's wrong with people right now, all the different humors. Yeah. So you got the bile, you got the blood, you got the, the yellow bile. Ew, gross. But he's like, no, you got a bruise on your butt because you fell on the ground. Like it's not bile. Right. You know what I mean? Cause and effect. Anyways, Paracelsus' father was a German doctor and a chemist himself, and he taught at a school where Para attended and started learning about different types of metals. He was very big into chemistry. Um, and so it really kind of helped fuel his his interest in science and chemistry and alchemy. You were all talking about alchemy. Yeah, so, all three of us got alchemists. Yeah. Smarty pants like Paracelsus, back in the day, it was all the rage to just travel around Europe and go to different universities to soak up whatever knowledge you can get. And Para went to like seven different schools. Nice. And he was like, I don't like any of them. (laughs) Mind you, these are like the seven seven of the best schools that you could have gone to. And he's like, nope, not for me. And he didn't think that they were teaching topics fully. And he later wrote of them. This is what he said of all the schools he went to. Quote, the universities do not teach all things. So a doctor must seek out wives, gypsies, sorcerers, wandering tribes, old robbers, and such outlaws to take lessons from them. So he says a doctor must be a traveler. Knowledge is experience. So he was all about becoming both book smart and then also kind of like street smart. And that's what his literally years upon years of travel helped him achieve. So he's a very smart guy, you guys. Interesting. Yeah, he's highly respected and also despised by a lot of people in his community because he was really. Uh, he was a revolutionary way back when people still thought that, again, celestial bottles in the sky and the humors uh, determine your health. But he was also like a rebel and he just didn't give an F what anyone else thought about him. He was very confident in himself and his abilities. And, you know, sometimes when you come across, again, people who are just like they think that their shiz don't stink, you aren't too fond of them. People don't like people like that. If you think you're better than other people, people aren't going to like you. Right. Right. So he was respected for his knowledge, but also like, oh, God, Paracelsus. Mm. Paracelsus <laughs> is here. And you also, you guys, he liked he liked to drinky drink sometimes. <laughs> sometimes his mouth was stinky, stinky. So More like apparently he had bad breath. <laughs> he, well, apparently he had... He had bad breath was what one thing that I read. Maybe he was yeah, drinking here. Well, he is the father of toxicology, so. <laughs> well, what if he was drinking your guy's dipple oil? Hey, there Ooh, we go. could have been chugging it. No, I think they were alive at different times. Anyways, um, he also, he, he spoke like a pirate. He's very foul-mouthed. Um, so here's another quote from, a, uh, from Paracelsus that I found an amazing blog called Mad Scientist Blog. And I think that this really sums up Paracelsus perfectly. He once said, quote, 
All the universities have less experience than my beard. The down on my neck is more learned than my antagonist. (laughs) You must follow my footsteps. I shall not go in yours. Not one of your professors will find a cover so well hidden that the dogs will come and lift them by the leg and defile them. I shall become a monarch. Mine will be the monarchy, which I shall rule to make you gird up your loins. And <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Dang. So that's that's like Paracelsus in a in a nutshell. So so that's who we're dealing with here. And he became a professor at one point, and during his first lecture, he basically gave the medical establishment two middle fingers by burning some of the most well-respected medical literature of the time. Um, so he just threw it onto a big pile of fire and said, this book is trash and this one is trash and this one is trash. <laughs> and you might also, you might as well bow down now because I will soon be your king. Oh my like, God. <laughs> I love Paracelsus so much. He's crazy. But less than a year after Paracelsus got this job, he ended up having to flee town because he thought someone was going to try and poison him. Yeah, you kept talking to me like, like that. If you start to tell people like that, I'm sure they're eventually going to try to poison you. Yeah, they were like, oh, he, he was like, I'm Audi 500. So Paracelsus, he basically did devise modern medical practices and he contributed to humanity in many ways. Um, but he did have a few experiments that were a little off the wall, mm. including one where he tried to create a homunculus. Oh. Whew. Yeah, and that to me sounds like some kind of flower, but it is anything but. No, it isn't. No, it is. It's not a flower. So Paracelsus became obsessed with making a baby by himself. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, get women out of the picture. He's like, I don't need no stinking woman. (laughs) Or so he very mistakenly thought. But at the time, scientists, they thought that babies were really just the work of men and men alone and women were just like a vessel. Yeah, the homunculus theory, yeah. Yeah, they're just a vessel to grow man's creation, which just makes me so angry. (laughs) So Paracelsus, he set forth to create a homunculus, which is basically thought to be a fully formed human, but small, kind of like a mini me. Yep. So what's the recipe for a homunculus, you might ask? Mm. Oh, get ready to... Uh, per Para himself, quote, that the sperm of a man be putrefied by itself in a sealed curcumin for 40 days with the highest degrees of putrefication in a horse's womb, or at least so long that it comes to life and moves itself and stirs, which is easily observed. After this time, it will look somewhat like a man, but transparent without a body. If after this, it be fed wisely with the arcanum of human blood and be nourished for up to 40 weeks and be kept in even heat of the horse's womb, a living human child grows therefore, with all its members like another child, which is born of a woman, but much smaller, end quote. How thrilled do you think his enemies were when they when he wrote this? They were just like... <laughs> there, was just, there were actually a lot of people who like were very into... The homunculus oh, yeah. theory. Yeah, I mean, it really didn't die out till like probably the late 18th century, early 18th century. It was a while. Huh. But you guys, that's all it takes to make a quote little man because that's what homunculus means, mm-hmm. little man. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I didn't know that that was what it meant. Yep. Oh. Well, my question is, Paracelsus was fully devoted to observation and kind of like applying rules to science and chemistry. So how did he devise this idea 
that this is how you artificially create a person. If right. he's like, oh, like, does that mean he actually did it? Well, a lot know. of alchemists believe that. In fact, there's the, the version I'd heard is very similar, except it's uh, you, you use semen in uh, the egg of a black pullet, that is to say a juvenile but laying eggs chicken, and uh, you get rid of the, the actual albumin and yolk and all that, but you put the semen in it, and then you seal it up with wax paper, and then you have to keep it warm by constantly shoveling over a course of weeks a fresh mare of uh, what do you, manure Dung. on top of it. So I mean, it, it's similar, but you know, a lot of people had this conclusion, and it's because the, the homunculus theory, the, the view on, on how life was formed, was this idea that every single sperm cell contained a little dude, a little, well, a little yep. person, male a or female. A little person. And inside that little person would be their egg or sperm cells, which in turn, well, not egg cells, in the case of the, the male versions, would be a little dude, would be a little dude, would be a little dude, ad infinitum. And Christians really liked that argument because it made a great case for original sin. Because if that's the case, then when Adam and Eve sinned, we were all in Adam. So when Adam, uh, they had a little rhyme for it. Uh, with Adam's fall, we sinned all something like that. Huh. Huh. <sighs> little dude, a little dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, per ancientorigins.net, Paracelsus said that the recipe for homunculus was actually revealed by God to mortals. Huh? And yeah, he, he was a, actually a very religious man, which I think all of our people were very religious today. Yeah. But he claimed that in order for a homunculus to grow, it must be, quote, educated with the greatest care and zeal until it grows up and begins to display intelligence. So, you guys, that's all it took. That's all it takes to <laughs> grow a Whoa. tiny man. But not surprisingly, uh, several critics of him think that Paracelsus was just being playful with the idea on how to create a homunculus. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't find anything that actually said, oh, yeah, he tried to do this himself. Interesting. So I don't know, you guys. You guys, that is Paracelsus, and he was quite off the wall. He was an odd duck. Very interesting. And that's why I wanted to talk about him today. Hmm. Mad scientist. Yeah, Walter, this, good. this was a fun topic, so thank you so much for submitting it. Thank you, Walter. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we draw from the vase? One quick one. This is just, I thought this would be fun. As you know, I'm a big fan of Paracelsus. So I just thought I would give a recipe for the plague that he had. Uh, I, I just think it's cool. So you take brandy and you take theriac, which has opium in it. And you take myrrh and you take tusilago, which is a plant. You take spermaceti from a flipping whale, you know, the whale stuff that's in sperm whales. You take clay you take vincotoxium, which is also a plant. You take uh, valerian, pimpinella, camphor, and albus. That's a lot of and, stuff. Yeah, and you distill all that in, down after mixing it, putting in a, a glass, let it stand in the sun for eight days, and then give the sick person half a spoonful. Just half a spoonful? Half a Do you spoonful. use the rest of it? Yeah, well, all that opium. I'd say if you give them quite a bit more, they'd probably just die. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I guess you could use it for multiple people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just put it in the... Well, I, I think the idea was that you take it as long as you need to, till you're cured. Mm. Okay, well, phew, you guys. Who's ready for the vase? Who's ready for the ready vase? for the vase. Stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, and pull out a cup. All right. 
Okay, you guys. Woo! This we haven't talked about ghosts in a while, mm, have yeah. we? Uh, you guys, we have been asked to talk about haunted hotels, Ooh. and this topic comes to us from Brandon B. So, Brandon B., thank you so much for submitting a topic. Um, I want to learn more about Brandon B. <laughs> after I tell them about where they can find Grant Cook's music on Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. And Grant Cook did our opening and closing theme song, which is the same song. How about you guys also um, tell them where they can submit topics? Because our, our vase. Yeah, you can su- yeah. submit topics to 13th Floor Podcast on Instagram uh, at 13 or 13th Floor Podcast at gmail.com, uh, 13thFloorPodcast.com. Anywhere you 13thFloorPodcast.com. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to make us a link tree and we're just going to put it after every episode. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. Also, those were uh, right, though, right? I was not listening. I'll be 100% well, honest. Guess you gotta use that link tree thing. Yeah. Link tree. Also, you guys, you might see a picture of this on the Instagram soon, but we have a secondary vase, too. So I, I don't think I've seen it yet. Have I seen it? I haven't bought it. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. We got a secondary vase that is actually our elite Patreon vase. So Ooh, elite Patreon. Elite. Wow. So we also have a vase where we are accepting darker subjects for some of our Patreon exclusives. Yeah. So you, again, you can find out more information about our Patreon and all the different tiers. You can you can be a ghosty, you can be an ogo pogo, or you can be a chubby. So take a look. Where's my Domstad blobs at? Yeah, Domstad blob. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you guys. Do you want to hear some fun facts about Brandon B? Yeah. Let me find him. He has literally seen every episode of Days of Our Lives. Okay. (laughs) He watched a lot of them with his incredible with his mother growing up, and then his life motto is: "Once you pop, the fun don't stop." Big, That's what he big, lives big by. Pringles fan over here. He doesn't like Pringles, but he likes, <laughs> he likes slogan. Slogan. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Carson from Texas. I read my fun facts about him, and he got you guys. He does put the toilet paper over, so he's oh, got the right idea. He actually, yeah, he actually confirmed it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank so, you, Carson, for being a good sport. <laughs> yes. So, you guys, I guess that's it. Um, Until next time, we hope that you can keep keep it strange. strange.